This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. It is Friday the 28th of October, but no slowing down at the end of the week. My word, what a busy day of news stories. What have we got for you? Uh, Well, we've got uh, earnings season is upon us. We're going to hear from Greg Fuer, who's the CFO of Aldar Properties, the Abu Dhabi developer. Their earnings were out overnight. We had an 18.18% increase in profitability. Greg is going to be talking us through the numbers. Uh, what else? Uh, talking energy as well with Justin Dargan. Justin's great from the Carnegie Endowment. And finally, you're going to love this interview. It's a bit of a weird one for the business breakfast, but bear with us. James Haskell, is a former England rugby player. He played more than 70 games for England, but he's transformed himself into a podcaster, an author, a business person, and he's been talking us through his journey in the Business Breakfast studio. All that to come. But first up, it is a Friday, so of course we kick off with the News Quiz and Serena Kelly. Serena Kelly is here with... The quiz. Yes, indeedy. You know, a bit of fun on a Friday. We, you know, cover the main stories from the week. And yeah, we just pit Richard, Brandy and Tom against one another. So your buzzers that you need to select for chiming in when you've got the answer um, needs to be Halloween themed, considering it's on Monday. So something that you would associate with Halloween. Um, any, what would your buzzer be? Boo. Boo. Okay, Brandy's buzzer is Boo. Richard, Tom? Pumpkin. Okay. Uh, Very good choice there, Uh, Tom? Treat. Treat. Okay, right. Treat me. (laughs) So uh, we've got... It's better than a trick, isn't it? (laughs) Right, so we've got our buzzers ready. Shall we begin? Sure. Mm. Let's go. Question one. Name the city that's been holding celebrations to mark 50 years. Pumpkin. I heard pumpkin, so Richard's in first. Uh, Cairo. Well done. You're on the board, Richard. Question number two. Qatar lifted the rule that you need what to boo? That was, that was, it's a bit of a tie there. Um, Well, she said, oh, and I said pumpkin. How is that a tie? All right. I don't see how you should get a say here, considering you're vying for the point. Let him have a go. Oh, okay. Right, Richard. It's nice for him to be able to do this. <laughs> go on, go on, go on. Conclusion. What? Sorry, what's the question? No, what's the COVID answer? test. <laughs> Richard, two, on the board. Right, and the question number three. The Environment Agency Abu Dhabi has launched a challenge for schools in the Emirates. It's called Piled Up, where they need to collect what... Street. Yes, Tom. Skywards Miles? No. (laughs) That is incorrect. Something recyclable. (laughs) What is the main mission that's been going on in most of the Emirates? Oh, boo. Yes, Brandon. Water bottles. Yes, single-use plastic water bottles. Excellent. Right. Question number four. Which attraction opened on Tuesday? Pumpkin. Richard? Global Village. Well done. Question number five. When does the Dubai Fitness Challenge get Pumpkin. under? I heard Brandy. Brandy. 29th of October. Well done. It's today, right. isn't it? Brand- Tomorrow. Brandy two. Richard three. Tom, need to get on the board. Question board, number six. <laughs> if you had a different for every time people had said <laughs> every that. Every time you. I hear it, but you just get on board, Tom. <laughs> you take part. <laughs> 
Question number six. You can now use your Noel card to pay for fares on which... Pumpkin. Richard. The Palm Jumeirah tram thingy monorail thingy. I will accept. Yes. Well done. <laughs> Question number seven. I think that you'll find that's an unassailable 4-2 lead. The, well, right now, yes. Okay, so we, what we're well, just... Let's back then. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> don't... Don't have that. I can't get on board. I've been cast you, overboard. You can still by the very nature of Richard having won the quiz already. You can, you Should can, we keep it alive by doing triple word score for this one, like Scrabble? Okay, so what? Three points yep. for this final question. Yeah. Right to keep it interesting. What winner takes all? No, Double no. Or nothing. Three points, and then we can just go to a. Okay, should all we on red? We'll make it four points. <laughs> Sorry, shoots. Hey. <laughs> We'll make it four points because then we can do a tiebreaker. Okay, oh, okay. right. Yeah. So four Ooh. points up for grabs. Yeah. Question number seven. Name the location in Dubai that'll be hosting a free music festival. Boo. Brandy. City Walk. <laughs> and there is no tiebreaker <laughs> because... <laughs> well done. You've actually won the quiz. <laughs> Would you like the, the, these two to have a have a little go, maybe with what, the, with the uh, tiebreaker? Tie see who would the actually second place. Okay, we we can do that. You could have asked me a rugby one. I know, yeah, then uh, but then there's there's no competition. Oh, it's like the World Cup. Name, name, name the hates... two name the two books out by James Heskell. Uh, both Sunday Times <laughs> top ten bestsellers. <laughs> All right. Do you want your tiebreaker? Name one of the artists that have been announced. For the Yassalam after Pumpkin. race. Yes, Richard. Def Leppard. Yes. Right, okay. Brandy, you have a prize. Sweet. Um, okay, now considering it was kind of Halloween themed today and it's on Monday, I ordered you um, the thing that you normally carve. A pumpkin? Yes, right. Okay, but I ordered... You had to order the pumpkin? I did order the pumpkin through one of the uh, delivery apps because, obviously, I had it delivered to the office. Oh, the days when we just used to go to the supermarket. Yes, um, but hence, slight problem with that. It seems that I the image wasn't exactly <laughs> ma- matching <laughs> what I wanted. So, <laughs> I've got your dinner. You've got two bits of melon. <laughs> so no, it is a pumpkin. It is a pumpkin, but it's just not... So if, if you're not watching, if you're watching on TV, you could see what just happened. Serena ordered a whole pumpkin, but what they did was gave her two quarter slices wrapped in cling film. Um, yes, sorry, not environmentally friendly, but still. Um, so technically, I mean, you could, I was going to say, could you carve something and bring it in on Monday? But <laughs> so I've got your dinner here. It's not an art challenge. Can you pass that to Brandy? <laughs> um, pumpkin soup, maybe for dinner or pumpkin pie or... We can have dinner around. Thank yours. you, Serena. That's but very yes. sweet. So, like a bikini. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm sorry. I did try to get you a proper pumpkin. Tahitian. Clearly, I didn't order the right thing. Um, right. So well done. I give up. Someone else. <laughs> Elon Musk from the ridiculous to the even more ridiculous. Uh, Elon Musk. Uh, has it seems has taken over Twitter. The deal seems to have been done. We've had no official confirmation yet from the Securities and Exchange Commission or the New York Stock Exchange, but multiple media outlets reporting that he has indeed done the deal. Um, one of the things that, it, and, and that's fine, okay, we get that. 
44 billion dollars it's going to happen but one of the things uh, that politico for example is reporting is that one of his first acts as chief executive and again it's been reported that he has installed himself as chief executive having marched paragagraval at the building colonel elon has installed himself at the head of the head of the company. He has installed himself. Brandy's likening it to a palace coup, and I, I absolutely see those metaphors. One of the first things that Politico says they think he's going to do is to reinstate the Twitter account of this man. Oh, you've got to give me warning before you start doing things like that. Say it again, this my is friend. At real Donald Trump, remember him. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And yes, together, we will make America great again. I'm a little slow on that buzzer because I'm on Twitter and I'm looking at the Spectator Index who have pointed out to give a little bit more credence to that rumour. The fact that one of the... Because he's he's hollowed out the C-suite, hasn't he? He's got rid of um, the guys at the top. One of the guys who's gone is the head of legal policy, mm. whose decision it was to ban said President Trump. So we did a bit of a kangaroo court, didn't we, earlier on in the business breakfast, about whether we, we if it was us who were the world's richest people were walking into Twitter headquarters with a sink, taking over, <laughs> ousting the C-suite. Well, to be fair, Serena has come in with vegetables this morning. Well, there is that. Would we reinstate Donald Trump? I don't think any of us are big fans of Donald Trump, but there was a kind of universal... Yes, wasn't yeah. it, Tom? Yeah, definitely. Um, no, I think uh, that's basically what Twitter stands for, isn't it? And love him or loathe him, Donald Trump, that is. Um, that is the platform that he is allowed to express his opinions. And that's why Elon Musk has taken it over. And we've put together this war chest of cash uh, and bonds from uh, across the globe. Uh, to take it to to, to the next level. Uh, And I think that's the concern for many, isn't it? Is, okay, what's next for Twitter? The super app that's been talked about a lot. Is that that the future for Twitter? Is is that part and parcel of what this acquisition has been about? Uh, But it remains to be seen. Question I've got for you. Does your... So do do they... Are they... Are they still trading in shares of Twitter at the moment, or have those been... Reuters says that they will be suspended this morning before trade begins on the okay. New York Stock Exchange. So we can't check the, the share price to see what... How, no, how but it's been trading... The, the last few days, it's been trading in line with the offer price from Elon mm. within a short margin because people thought the deal was going to get done. Fair enough. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Right then, let's get more detail on one of our top local stories this morning. Aldar Properties in Abu Dhabi reporting an 18.18% increase in quarterly profit to just over half a billion dirhams. Joining us on the line now to talk us through those numbers is the Chief Financial Officer, Greg Fewer. Morning, Greg. Good morning, Richard. So, what were the key drivers? Well, key drivers, I think in the third quarter, we had one of our busiest quarters ever of activity um, at Aldar. You're seeing uh, strong contributions coming from capital that we've deployed um, uh, over the last 12 months at Aldar. Uh, You're seeing sales hitting record levels at Aldar. We did 3.9 billion dirhams of off-plan sales. That's more than we typically have done in an entire calendar year. You're seeing, of course, a very favorable macroeconomic backdrop, which is, uh, you know, really giving customers confidence and new people confidence to new investors, confidence to invest into the country. 
All those things are driving really record results for us, 30% increase in revenue, 28% uh, increase in gross profit, uh, and 27% increase in net income. Greg, these are super numbers for Aldar and, and for many other real estate companies. The banks are doing well here in the UAE as well. We had a message in from a listener about I don't know, 35 minutes ago saying, this is great, but it all feels a little bit 2007 to me. And of course, those of us with longer memories remember this was a booming real estate market in the UAE in 2007. And then we had quite a severe crash. What do you say to our listener who wrote in with that comment? Well, that was 2007. And uh, this is a very different era. Um, the growth and the sales that we're seeing now are much more sustainable, you know, for so many reasons. Like and when I think of the biggest differences between uh, this uh, era and 2007, we've got a very favorable regulatory environment now uh, in Abu Dhabi. We've got real estate law that give investors much more confidence to invest. And of course, we've got this huge portfolio of, of social reforms that, that the government has introduced. That again, this is a recurring theme. We talk about it a lot uh, on the show. It's making this country home to more expatriates and their money and investors. And whether it's golden visas or 100% foreign ownership of companies, um, we're seeing people here stay longer. And, and that's different. That just gives uh, is a broader universe of people that are now buying real estate uh, you know, in the UAE. And of course, from the Abu Dhabi side of things, there's a much more constructive supply side uh, to our, our real estate market. I mean, Aldar represents about 80% of the off-plan market in Abu Dhabi. And, and you know, with one team introducing so much real estate, there's much more, um, much more constructive supply backdrop uh, to meet demand. And that's a, a very favorable environment for investors to put money into. Let's talk about your recurring assets. You own shopping malls, you own schools, you own hotels and apartment blocks that you rent out. That's been strong as well. Can you walk us through those numbers? Sure. I mean, look, the story on the recurring revenue side has been first-time contributions from our, our transformational growth program. So year to date, we have about $150 million, you know, of our overall growth uh, in, in EBITDA coming from new contributions from acquisitions that we've made. And you know, a big part of what we're um, you know talking about this time around this quarter is a reiteration of our guidance that we're going to deploy a further five billion dirhams into new acquisitions going forward, on top of the six billion dirhams of acquisitions that we made in the third quarter. Probably one of our busiest quarters ever uh, deploying capital. Most significantly, the Abu Dhabi Global Markets Towers, you know, and uh, Al Muria Island here in Abu Dhabi. So those are just starting to drive growth. Um, quarter on quarter in our profits. And there's at least uh, 50% more to come on that going forward. Well, you mentioned the A word there, Greg, acquisition. So let's talk about some of them that might be in the pipeline. Headlines this week about Aldar potentially lining up a bid for a stake in GEMS, the school's operator here. We know that education is a big part of what you do. What can you tell us about that? Well, we most certainly don't comment on um, uh, speculative media reports. I think... Um, We've talked a long time about the surplus capital we generate at Aldar that we deploy into acquisitions. And what's great now is we're really proving our ability to deploy. And, and we hope the market gives us credit and, and comfort and the, the confidence in us that we will further deploy this $5 billion across multiple sectors. So education, are, what we're very happy to talk about is our own education business, which is one of the fastest growing education platforms in the region. Five years ago, we had about 8,000 students across nine schools. 
Today, we have 33,000 students in our network here uh, in Abu Dhabi. That's a combination of us building new schools of our own and super growth in our management, our managed platform, where we manage charter schools on behalf of the government. So that is a high, high growth platform. We're very comfortable continuing to fund that development. Um, and it's a great growth story for us. Hey, I knew you weren't going to answer the gem story, Greg, but it's my job to ask. Uh, what else can I ask you about? Deals that, that you are going to talk about are your investment in islands, whether it's Narai Island, which we've spoken about previously, but also in, in Ras Al Khaimah, buying hotels on, on islands offshore Ras Al Khaimah. Why do you like islands in particular in terms of the hospitality business? Well, I think, I think we like destinations, and, and there's there's two different uh, limbs to what you just described there. You know, Ras Al Khaimah just has a super great niche developed there on in Al Marjan area. We've been early investors into that. Uh, we're very happy to develop more. In fact, we've we've acquired some lands adjacent to some of the hotels that we've purchased there, and we will be deploying more capital uh, into Ras Al Khaimah. You know, Narai Island is just a super super one off story. Uh, it's adjacent to to Sadiat, so we kind of consider that part of the same you know overall destination in Abu Dhabi. It's one of the most unique assets, not only in Abu Dhabi uh, but in the region. And we're going to be expanding that into the future. Big fan of the pineapple pizza oven. Can we talk about energy, Greg? It's a relatively small story in terms of numbers. You're the the finance chief, 25 million dirhams, but you're spending this to reduce energy consumption. And as we head to Adipec next week and then COP27 in Egypt, it is a subject on people's lips. The construction industry is a, a big generator of carbon emissions. We've only got about a minute left. What can you tell us about what you're doing to reduce the amount of carbon that you produce? Well, I mean, look, the 25 million uh, that we announced recently for those energy retrofit projects, that's done in accordance with 140 million that we announced last year. And what's really important on that, that was the result of the largest energy retrofit study undertaken by landlord in our region. And what we're showing landlords out there, that there's a lot of low hanging fruit that's profitable, we're get a great return on that investment, but then most importantly, reduces carbon output. And just, to, you know, we're going to be announcing at Aldar our net zero um, plan in the next sort of six or seven weeks ahead of uh, January here in Wefus. And that is gonna be one of the more thoughtful documents that you're gonna see about what net zero development looks like from home builder here in our region. There's not a lot, there's 100% answers in that, but there are things we control, some things we don't control, but we're gonna lay it all out there for everyone to see. And we're, you know, a very thoughtful document that I look forward to sharing with you when it comes out later on this year. Greg, congratulations. Great set of numbers from Aldar, 18% increase in quarterly profit. Congratulations to you, Talal and the team down at Aldar. Big success story in the nation's capital. Greg Fewer is the Chief Financial Officer at Aldar Properties. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. We're ahead of Adipec and indeed ahead of COP. We are combining the two and having a look at one of the biggest energy stories to come out in the last 24 hours. Saudi Aramco has launched a $1.5 billion sustainability fund. Uh, we're very pleased to be joined once again by Justin Dargan, global energy expert from the Carnegie Endowment Think Tank. He's speaking to us from Washington this morning. Justin, it's lovely to see you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. Thanks for having me. And the obvious question, why would the world's largest oil company launch what's effectively a green energy fund? 
Oh, sure. Absolutely. Well, I mean, one of the things that we can see is that prior to uh, COP uh, being held in uh, Egypt is that Saudi Arabia does want to burnish its uh, green credentials, I guess you could say. But there are some internal dynamics that are extremely important to recognize why Saudi Arabia would do so. Saudi Arabia is experiencing a fairly high uh, demand growth internally. And what it seeks to do is to reduce that demand growth while at the same time uh, by renewable energy investment and so on, and then being able to preserve its uh, export uh, capability abilities and in, in able to obtain uh, international uh, prices for its uh, oil exports. So that's one of the driving considerations. And another thing that Saudi Arabia wants to do is, and, and a big part of this fund, is to promote the uh, deployment of carbon capture and storage. So basically carbon capture and storage uh, would allow the continued utilization of uh, oil and natural gas and the global economy. So Saudi Arabia sees that as one of its uh, critical goals to reach and to promote this technology to the international market. Okay, so there's a lot to break down there, including the type of technologies, carbon capture, you've mentioned there, there are others that this fund might invest in. Before we do, though, let's have a look at one of its stated aims, which is to aid the green energy transition. The CEO, Amin Nasser, speaking um, at the big FFI gathering in Saudi Arabia, says that the transition from dirty energy, if you like, to clean energy is currently flawed. How so? Well, he says as follows, basically because renewable energy is not able to pick up the slack uh, at the moment. And he believes that it would take about 30 years or so for a true transition to happen. I guess to a certain degree that is correct if we look at the current volatility in oil prices. And, of course, uh, many of the countries that have stated uh, they want to... Uh, uh, dissuade, we can say, investments in oil and gas are now attempting to uh, encourage investments in oil and gas. So I mean, to a certain degree, I mean, he's absolutely uh, correct in that. But one of the things is with the IEA's uh, projection, it's that uh, global fossil fuels will peak, more or less, the consumption will peak around uh, 2030 or so. And so during this time period, there is, during this transitional period, there is uh, going to be a bit of uh, difficulty for uh, the uh, uh, national economies in the world to be able to deal with that. So what is, he said you need a realistic plan, what is that realistic plan? What needs to happen? Well, for a realistic plan, basically what you'd have to do, you would have to invest in oil and gas assets. And uh, there is the consideration, of course, which Saudi Arabia does promote, is that when you do have a type of green policy and... Um, as uh, Saudi Arabia would say, of course, uh, trying to uh, make uh, the oil and gas industry a villain, then what it does is it will cause a bit of fear uh, for oil companies. And they would expect that if they were to continue to invest significant amounts of uh, money into oil and gas production, that they would essentially have a stranded asset as their assets would steadily depreciate. So Saudi Arabia is saying that that is one of the main problems and that it is these net zero commitments by many Western countries that is really causing uh, the shortfall in oil and gas investment. So basically, you would have to have a predictable uh, investment stream uh, going to oil and gas assets, while at the same time attempting to buttress uh, the uh, investments in the renewable energy sector. Okay, so let's look at that hedge, if you like, one and a half billion dollar hedge into uh, the sustainable energy sector. What kind of technologies could we see the fund invest in? Well, I, the fund is going to invest in synthetic fuels, it's going to invest in hydrogen, and uh, of course, uh, CCS, so carbon capture and storage, which is a major one. And of course, carbon 
carbon capture and storage is one of the primary technologies that Saudi Arabia feels will help it manage this uh, global energy transition that is happening at the moment. So we're really going to see a big focus on, on that. And Saudi Arabia, in alliance with many international oil companies, is uh, going quite strong with that. Now, if you look at environmentalists, environmentalists are basically saying that there should not be uh, investment in carbon capture and storage because carbon capture and storage has, uh, as they say, has been proven to be a bit risky. It's unproven and it would continue to lock the world into this hydrocarbon uh, type cycle. But at the same time, there are others that state that we need to invest in whatever technology is available in order to stave off uh, the climate change that is uh, happening at a quite a rapid pace. So you, you have these two ideas that are uh, operating at the same time. Right. So yes, as you say, carbon capture has its detractors, those who point out that it still effectively is uh, burning fossil fuels. What about those that are more true sustainable fuels, if you like, new fuels? Which of those alternative um, ideas could be the most viable or, or would be with money behind them? Well, I mean, I guess you can say synthetic fuels to a certain degree. However, in the transport sector, which consumes, uh, you can say, a, a, a very large percentage of uh, the global oil trade, uh, that's very difficult uh, to transition over into. So we do see the rise in, of course, electric vehicles and so on. But in terms of where the oil is going to go, it would definitely go to uh, the transport sector. So I, basically, I, I can't really foresee any type of uh, synthetic fuels that would be able to supplant uh, the oil that is going to the uh, uh, international transport sector at the moment. Uh, but if you look at, for instance, green hydrogen, uh, that is what uh, Saudi Arabia is looking at, considering to base its uh, transition and diversification of its uh, macro economy. So that is a big one. And also many other Middle Eastern uh, oil rich countries are looking at green hydrogen as a way to be able to help them manage uh, the type of, um, let's say, movement or transition, of course, uh, from an oil based economy to an economy which is much more diversified. Is the, is the a fund like this actually what's missing from the transition? If Amin Nasser says that it's flawed, is money the missing piece? Uh, yes, I would say that money is. But if you look at uh, sustainability uh, funds, investment funds at the moment, uh, they are still kind of a very small piece of the pie. I mean, so they basically represent, I would say, about uh, maybe even about 3% or 4% of, of the global uh, asset wealth of investment funds. Uh, but yes, if you send money uh, into renewable energy investment to sustainability, uh, money talks, basically, and then you will start to see movement. But it's also governmental policies at the same time. So when you have the governmental policies, which will set up the basic enabling factors that would uh, allow, let's say, the green energy ecosystem to flourish, uh, then when these two combine, then you would definitely see the type of uh, energy transition uh, be realized that uh, people are looking for. Just before we left, you go 30 seconds left with you. The Saudi finance ministers told FFI the transition could take around three decades. What's your estimate? Uh, well, I mean, I'll say one thing is that uh, you can have a black swan uh, type of event. And this is what we've seen with uh, uh, Ukraine invasion uh, by Russia. This has expedited uh, investment and in governmental policies that support renewable energy. Uh, so I, I would say quite briefly, it's the security dimension of renewable energy now that governments are looking at, as opposed to just environmental considerations. So if you have renewable energy, it makes you much more energy independent and, of course, would lessen the power of Russia and other uh, bad actors on the international stage.
Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Justin Dargan, global energy expert from the Carnegie Endowment Think Tank, speaking to us uh, on the launch of that $1.5 billion sustainability fund, transition fund, coming out from Saudi Aramco. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Right, people. If you go down to Business Bay today, you'll be in for a big surprise because in a matter of hours, a couple of hours, you'll find a who's who of business and industry leaders queuing like school kids outside a ballroom. For, yeah, it is the long lunch. The legendary long lunch that returns today. It is the traditional curtain raiser for the Emirates Airline Dubai Rugby 7. Several uh, world-class former international rugby players will be in attendance, including Brandy Scott, this man. Haskell, oh, he's gone through, straight through. Might want to take this all the way through. Yeah, that- Played seven, seven times for his country as well as playing around the world and for the British and Irish Lions. Uh, Having retired from professional sport in 2019, embarked on a career as a podcaster, a presenter, uh, a professional DJ and, of course, a top 10 Sunday Times best-selling author. Uh, We'll be talking to him about all of those. But you can take all those plaudits, all of those titles. The one that he's most proud of is, of course, the... Is it official? Is it unofficial? Ambassador of the Emirates Airline Dubai Rugby Sevens. And, and in, in keeping with the trend that ambassadors here have to be called their excellencies, it is a warm welcome to His Excellency, <laughs> James Haskell. Thanks for joining us. What an introduction. I mean, thank you for having me. I thought when I saw the business breakfast, I thought I might be at my depth here. So please don't ask me about any IPOs or any sort of financial advice. But yeah, very exciting. But I, I will expect now to be called the... My excellency, your excellency, your, your excellency, my excellency. Let's you know, let's just keep it informal. You're, it's very good, kind of you to join us, your excellency. Thank I know you. it's a busy yeah, schedule. Yeah. I have got very busy. I'm just going to get one of those <laughs> open top Rolls Royces now to start waving around my, Dubai. <laughs> His excellency is wearing short shorts. If you're watching on, I have. Yeah, they are tight shorts, aren't they? <laughs> it's one of those things where I, I sort of, um, I was before I came out here, I was DJing in, in Bath in. in um, UK and I kind of had a, a couple of hours to pack uh, so I just threw a few things together I was like, and without absolutely no forethought to where I was going what I was doing but actually I feel like you know when you ever come to Dubai you're always on kind of on holiday I know you all live here but for me it's just why not wear tight shorts you know you only get you know nice legs once in your life at some point no one's ever going to want to see them again got them flaunt them eh James, yeah, I wouldn't say, that, I would say I've got them I'm just enforcing <laughs> them on people listen let's talk uh, rugby very quickly if we can long lunch just around the corner I know a number of uh, our loyal listeners will be making their way down there as well not your first rodeo uh, you were here last year for the long lunch and for the sevens itself looking forward to a little later on yes very much so I mean it was my first long lunch obviously um, you know Dubai is synonymous with uh, the sevens the Emirates Dubai Sevens been going on for such a long period of time, and it was one of the, it was the first Sevens tournament I played um, in when I played for England. Um, it has a rich history. Obviously, there's so many expats here who really love their rugby, and it's such a kind of a, a melting pot of you know South Africans, Kiwis, Australians, you know um, English, French, whoever might be here. And so the long lunch is a celebration. Of that. It was a bit tricky last year because it was kind of the first one back yeah. after COVID, yeah. um, and it was like no one had obviously been out of the house before because everyone was very chatty. I know Dubai was very strict on their kind of on their rules around um, you know quarantine etc. and coming out. So it was kind of a it was, it was a very good event. There was a few people worse aware at the end of it, but it was um, it was very good. I, I got I was speaking um, with Ben Ryan, uh, mm-hmm. obviously the uh, you know 
gold medal winning uh, Fijian coach now, I think uh, performance director at Brentford Football Club. Um, and this year we've got Benjamin Kayser and uh, Rory Best, which I both got them this gig. So I'm expecting a little <laughs> a little commission a at royalty. some point. Yeah, well, I should hope so. I don't think they're grateful as well. I don't feel like I've had the, you know, the... <laughs> The kind of plaudits I deserve for getting in this, this getting this gig in this beautiful country. I mentioned that it is the traditional curtain raiser, if you like. It's used to be the sort of thirty day countdown. I'm not sure how many days it is till the sevens weekend. Sevens weekend is obviously an establishment at the National Day celebration weekend here now. Again, you you got the opportunity to not only. Uh, your Excellency, take on your ambassadorial role uh, at the event last year, but also to play as well, which was in keeping with a sort of widening of the audience for the Sevens. Has that worked? I think it has. You know, last year the, the figures uh, of people coming through the gate was, was huge. They're expecting, you know, a couple of hundred thousand through the gates this uh, in, in, you know, a month's time. Um, I think, you know, the popularity of rugby... Is, is, is growing in certain parts, but it's sort of slowing down in others. You know, it has lots of kind of uh, things going on. It, you know, you've seen with stuff in the Premiership in the UK, a couple of clubs going under. So the landscape is changing. I think for p- people want much more entertainment now. You know, we're glued to our phones. We have short attention spans. And I think what what, uh, what Emirates have done with the Dubai Sevens and make it much more entertainment. Then they've got a new uh, fitness WOD on three, which is a, a, a whole fitness um, area, like CrossFit vibe going on. And to get the likes of Craig David... Um, playing Gorgon City, playing um, the Cuban brothers, playing you know last year Disclosure, you know that's a massive thing, and to see kind of ten thousand people in in front of you when you were playing was amazing, and I think that is the way to go if you want a sustainable um, entertainment platform these days. You need the sport, you need the health and fitness, and you need the music and entertainment, and I think it's the right thing to do. And 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 last year. You know, blew my blew my mind. Especially mm. you know the different stages, the different vibes. You know, I was DJing. Um, I think I did four hours one day in uh, on beats on two, uh, which is kind of almost like an Ibiza outdoor vibe, and it was incredible. People just kind of enjoying the rugby, um, but then you get so many people playing the tens, and then once that's done, they then can let, sort yeah. of let their hair down, and it, it was amazing. And I think it's reinvigorated the tournament um, in my mind. So to that. To that end, I mean, one of the reasons they did it um, is that they're looking to bring in a younger audience. Does rugby per se need a uh, younger audience? Yes, I think it does. I I think it it desperately needs it. I think everything needs a a younger audience to to, to be sustainable and maintain. I think especially when you look at um, the trajectory of of, of, social media and how people are digesting their content, how people are interacting with sport, you know, you... If you sort of don't appeal to a younger audience, it's not reaching the right eyes because look at the generation gap. You know, a lot of people have just come into smartphones now. You know, like my, I, you know, my mum's you know great on a, an iPhone and stuff, but she doesn't really watch a lot of content on there. Uh, you know, if you're not creating stuff that's you know going to reach the kids' eyes, you, you're going to lose the audience. I think with with rugby as well, especially I'm going to talk about it in the UK, it's not played in as many many schools as it was. There's an issue over concussion. There's all these other bits and pieces that are kind of flying around. You need to keep. Uh, putting it in front of of of, of kids, and you saw uh, the NFL have done something amazing with what they do, and I think they did this whole um, halftime show with Nickelodeon, and, and sort of when you watch the game, slime and stuff appears on the screen, and there's cutaways, and, it, and it's for me, it's not what mm. I'm interested in, but it puts um, the right kind of eyes on it, and means that the kids are then engaged with it because at the moment. Look at the influx of influencers and YouTube stars. This is what kids are yeah. watching. They're not watching a lot of sport. Thursday, the 1st of December, all the way through to Saturday, the 3rd of December. Tickets on sale now for the Emirates Airline Dubai Rugby Sevens. Mr Haskell will be there uh, as, of course, in his official role of His Excellency James Haskell, the Ambassador of the Sevens. Haskell, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. 
You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.